turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And this is our topic for uh, this morning uh, sermon, uh, Children of Light and Walking as Children of Light. Last week we saw how Paul told uh, the, the disciples here at Ephesus to walk in love. In verse 2, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And then he's going to say again a little bit later in verse 15, See that ye walk circumspectly, that means carefully, uh, not as fools, but as wise. And here he says, walk as children of light. We've been following Paul as he is teaching us, teaching these Ephesian believers how they were to walk, just come out, uh, to come to the faith in Christ, how they're now to be Christians, how they're now to live out their faith in the world, and he's teaching them, these are the principles you must have in your mind. This is how you're the guide. This is how you're to live your life. This is the, the commands that you must uh, carry with you. This is how to be a Christian. And now it's, it's, he talks about shining for the Lord, children of light. Lessons not only, of course, for them, but lessons for us as we walk through the world. And the principles are the same. They haven't changed and they are uh, as relevant for us today as they were for the believers at that time. So verse 8, we pick it up here. For ye were sometimes, or the word sometimes there, rather once. For ye were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Once again, he is, Paul is reminding the disciples of their former state. You were at one point, he says, darkness. In Ephesians chapter 2, we just, I'll just read that again. Ephesians 2 and verse 12, at that place he said, you were before without Christ. When you were in your unconverted state, you have, without Christ, you were aliens from the things of God, from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. Without hope, and without God in the world. What a life that was you lived. But then, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That tremendous change has happened. Same here, verse 8, another, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now, again, and some preachers like to make a lot of those two words, but now, and they have whole sermons or just those two words. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. A tremendous change has come about in the believer. Once he was darkness, but now he is light in the Lord. Ye were darkness. It's emphasized in the Greek, those two words. Ye were. Not anymore. That's what you were. That was your past life. That's how you used to be. But now things are different. Now ye are light in the Lord. Darkness indicates ignorance. To be in the dark about something means you have no idea 
what's happening. You, you are unaware of a certain uh, situation or certain knowledge. And before we came to Christ, well, we could say we were in the dark about spiritual things. We didn't know that a personal relationship with God was even possible. We didn't know that God was a noble God and that I could communicate with Him and know Him in an intimate way, in a close way, and have a close fellowship with Him. I didn't know, really, that He was a forgiving God, one who was who done so much for me in Christ to take away my sin. I didn't know that what Christ had done and how great love He had demonstrated. I was in the dark about the, these things, that He came from heaven to suffer and to die, to take away sin and to make a way of forgiveness. I had no idea that I needed a Savior and that one was provided from me from above, from heaven. I was unaware I thought of this, uh, of the great danger that I was in, where my sin was taking me. I thought maybe it was just something that everybody else did, and something that was just maybe sometimes even a plaything that I could toy with it. It's an innocent thing, my sins. I didn't realize I was in the dark. I didn't realize it was taking me to hell. It was taking me to judgment, and for those very things, God is going to judge me. I was in the dark about these things. I thought. Before I came to know the Lord, perhaps this is you. This world is all that there is. There's no afterlife. So I'm just going to live for the temporary thing. Just make my life as happy and as comfortable and as pleasant as I can make it because that's all there is. You know, that's all there is to it. I thought death was the end. But then I realized uh, only when I came to the Lord that it is uh, not so. Well, the wording here goes a little bit further, though, than just saying we, are, we were ignorant and unenlightened uh, people. It actually says, ye were sometimes darkness. It's not just that they, we didn't have that knowledge, but we as people were dark in darkness. Ye were once darkness. Yes, we were ignorant of the truth on the one hand. That's the external, those things. We were unaware of those things. But on the other hand, internally also, this verse is saying there was a darkness about us before we came to Christ. I can, let me illustrate it in this way. You were driving your car down a country lane, and of course, you know, with uh, country lanes, they have no street lights. Uh, they, there's nothing there to help you externally. You're totally dependent upon your, your, your vehicle's uh, lights, the headlamps. Now imagine your headlamps and all the you're driving along that your headlamps and all uh, the other lights in your car malfunction. And you've got no lights at all on those country roads. And you know those country roads, they go bend here and all the way around. And you're absolutely dependent upon those lights. But imagine if your own car lights are gone. You're in the dark. The darkness is external. You cannot see anywhere you're going. But the darkness is now also something uh, in, in your car. You, you've got nothing uh, in the car. And it's, it's a somewhat feeble illustration, but this is what Paul is getting at. Not only that the darkness is outside of us, but there's a darkness also uh, inside, within us. No lights without, no internal light uh, within. And that's us. That's what we're like, friends. And in, in the, the meaning is this, that uh, the, uh, sin has so seeped into every part of us 
that it affects our judgment, it affects our will, it affects our decision-making. Before we come to Christ, we are so affected by these things, by the darkness within. It's not just we are influenced by the outside, but it's sin also within us that is affecting us. So we have no relish for spiritual things. Because of the darkness that is in us, the sin that is in us, we have no desire uh, really for God, no inclination towards God. Our inclination is more actually towards sin, and we have no will uh, towards God. In John uh, chapter 3, the Lord spoke about something uh, similar. Let me just uh, read that to you. In John uh, chapter 3, and there in verse uh, 19, and the Lord said, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Why don't people come to the light? Why don't people come to Christ? It's because they have a preference for darkness. Before we knew the Lord, we had a preference for sin and darkness. It's very strange, really, isn't it? Because usually we are people who appreciate the light. Well, most of the time, unless only when you're waking up in the morning, you may not appreciate the light coming into your room and disturbing your rest. But generally, we are people who, who prefer the day. It's a little bit unusual if you say, well, I prefer nighttime to daytime. I, I haven't met so many people like that. But spiritually, we are people who prefer darkness before we come to Christ. And that's, so when Christ, the light of the world, comes and the message of the gospel comes to us, we say, no, we don't want that light. We want to cling on to our darkness because there's an inner inclination of our hearts towards those things. And it's only when conversion takes place that we begin to change and to desire to know the Lord. And that's what Paul is getting at here. And that's why he's basically saying conversion is what's happened to you. Conversion has brought you out of darkness. Conversion has made you now children of the light. And it's the same for us, friends. If we, as yet here, don't know the Lord, then conversion is a must for us. It's not enough for us just to know the gospel and the facts of the gospel. Yes, that's important, but a person's heart must be changed. A person must come uh, to have their will inclined uh, to the Lord, to be born again, to be regenerated of the Spirit. This is what must happen to bring us into uh, the Lord's uh, kingdom. Now are ye light in the Lord. Now you have spiritual illumination. Now you know the truth. And also, by conversion, we could say, well, the light has come on within, and the change has happened uh, within us. Well, his point is, in saying these things is to, to tell them to walk as children of light. Now you, are, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Be a light bearer. You're a believer in Christ. Your purpose now is to illuminate others, to be a light bearer. And this is really the theme of these uh, few verses that he is talking about. Uh, let your light 
illuminate others, let your light shine before others so that they may come uh, to know the Lord uh, too. This is your position. This is your new standing now as a believer. You are a child of light. No more a child of darkness. Don't go back to that old way of living. Remember who you are. Whenever you're in the world or in the home, remember who you are. You are a child of light. Well, verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, a number of other versions uh, translate it as the fruit of the light. And that's probably a better translation because the whole context is actually talking more about the fruit of, uh, it's talking about light and darkness. And so here we could think of it more as the fruit of the light. A person who really is a child of light, Paul is saying, well, these fruits will be evident in their life, goodness and righteousness uh, and truth. Just like uh, plants and fruit trees, well, we all know, I don't have to say, but we all know that they need light in order to grow. So also, uh, we know fruit trees don't grow in uh, in, uh, darkness or in uh, environments which are perpetually dark. Light is so necessary. And so if I uh, truly am a child of light, what Paul is saying is that these fruits will also be seen uh, in me. Goodness, righteousness, uh, and truth. Goodness, that's uh, beneficence. Doing good to others. A person who is being converted is no longer just a, a selfish person. It should never be said of a believer, he is a selfish person. He's such a selfish person. He's just his only concern about himself and his own family and his own life. It should never be said of a believer. A believer is always one who is outgoing and thinking about others and what good he can do to others. That's the idea behind this word, goodness. It's an outgoing desire to help and be a blessing to others, just like God is good to all. Righteousness. He's one who's concerned to do what is right. His main thing in his life, he wants to please the Lord. This is what concerns him. He wants to keep his commandments, to obey the Lord, and truth uh, also. Not objective truth. Uh, truthfulness, yes, telling the truth. But something a little bit more than that is, is in mind here. It's his genuineness, sincerity, uh, uh, transparency uh, in the person. A true believer is not an actor. He's not a hypocrite. He's not just playing a certain role. There's a genuineness about him. There's a sincerity about him, integrity about him and his life. Integrity. That's a word we're hearing quite often these days, especially if you're watching the news and you're listening to all the shenanigans in in, in politics and people are talking about integrity. Oh, the believer is one who should be known also for his integrity and uh, truth is in this way. So Paul, as you can see, puts it in, it's in brackets here. It's, uh, it's a little aside uh, that he's, he's saying, now, use this, look, to test yourself, to examine yourself, check yourself. If you really are a child of God, then these things will be evident in your life. And it's good for us, even who have believed in the Lord, to also check 
and test ourselves. Verse 10 is a call to us to be thinking believers, not to go through life without thought, but to examine all things that come our way, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That word proving there, it refers to the testing of metals. In those times, you want to know what kind of a metal you need to use for a certain task or a job, where you would carry out a test and an examination upon it. And after you carried out the test and you determine what kind of metal it is, you could decide then whether to use it for your task or to, uh, you, you need some other thing. You need, it's, 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 it's in the sense of approving, testing something in order to approve it. And for us, it has a lot of applications. Uh, the believer uh, here is not to, Paul is saying, to flow, just float through life and just accept everything that comes uh, his way. He has to be constantly thinking and verifying things, checking things, uh, examining things. Is this activity acceptable to the Lord? Is this practice, is this teaching, is it acceptable to the Lord? Is this way of living uh, pleasing to Him? If it is, after checking it and examining it, yeah, yes, of course, we continue uh, in it. It's an approved uh, action. But if not, well, we are to put it away. Romans 12 Verse 2 tells us something similar. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, churches, we have to say, friends, here in application, need to be discerning. Many new and unbiblical ways of doing evangelism, of doing worship, are coming into the church and uh, people are just accepting them. The congregation is just accepting whatever is happening. Uh, no one is saying, well, hold on. Is this right, what's happening? Is this biblical, what's happening? Very few are asking those questions. And if you do ask in some churches, sadly, you're put to one side or you're not listened to. So much uh, concert-like worship has come into the church, has flooded into the church. Has anyone said... Well, we need to prove this. Is this biblical, what's happening here? Is it right that we resort to this kind of uh, worldly worship where we have the bands and the, 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 uh, the, the music playing and the lights are dimmed and so on? This is all that's happening. Is it right? You see a lot of, sadly today, casual worship where people have somewhat lost their reverence for God. And people are the leaders and those on the platform speak in a casual way and they jump up and down on, in a casual way and they address God in a very casual way and they dress in a casual way all with, with this uh, uh, desire to impress the people that God is easily accessible and you don't need to worry about the way you approach Him and come before Him. It's a loss of reverence for God that's gone in so many places. And no one stopped to ask us, is this the way we should be doing things? Is this the way, a biblical way, that we should be addressing God? And friends, we need to uh, be uh, discerning in the home. Are we proving things as well? Oh, is it good for me to be spending so much time in front of the telly and watching uh, so many things which probably are unedifying and unprofitable? Yes, I had a hard day at work. Yes, it's been difficult. I just want to put my feet up maybe. But is this a wise stewardship of my time? We need to ask these questions. 
as I, uh, or couples? Is, is it right for us to be constantly uh, bickering, the husband with the wife, finding fault with the wife, the wife complaining about the husband? We have to ask, well, is this acceptable, this kind of activity? Is it acceptable in the home? Is this pleasing uh, to the Lord? Is the Lord happy with this? Is this a good testimony to the children? Is it pleasing to the Lord that I only come out once a week to church? We're looking at our activity. Oh, look, let me check my week. Let me prove what I'm doing. Is it right only for me to come out just once and to do nothing else for His kingdom? Oh, friends, we have to be, uh, be uh, doing these things. Can you see how we are to prove all things yeah, in, in our lives? What about my devotions? Am I regular in my devotions to the Lord? Is, what about the content of my prayers? Is my prayers only focusing on myself or my family, my needs? Every day it's the same thing, myself, my family, my needs, a little bit here and there of others. Or is there a wider scope uh, for things? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul gives us some direction about prayer. He says, you know, pray for all men. And pray for all men, for kings and those who are in authority. And when he says all, he means all kinds of men. Pray for those, yes, who are in power, but also pray for those who are in poverty. Pray for those who are in need. Pray for those uh, who, of uh, different backgrounds, different nationalities. Let your prayers have a wider scope, for this is acceptable, good and acceptable and right in the eyes of God. That's good, to have a, a wide scope in our prayers. So we need to be those who are testing things to say, and asking ourselves constantly, is this acceptable to the Lord? And then verse 11, when we find things which are unacceptable, well, we have to put them away, have no fellowship uh, with them. In verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And we'll take uh, these verses, verses 11 to 13, uh, really together. And they speak about our witness, Primarily in mind here is our witness. Now, when it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, it's specifically referring to the works and not the people who carry out those works of darkness. The Christian is, is not somebody who should say, well, I'm having nothing to do with the unbeliever. There are some who, who think like that. But no, we are called to, uh, to live alongside the unbeliever not to quit our jobs and live like a recluse, a hermit, and to avoid all contact with people. No, to w live next to them, to work alongside them. Uh, this is our, our, also part of our calling, so that we may be a light to them, so that we may be the means through which our neighbors and our, our unsaved friends and unsaved colleagues are brought uh, to, to church. When you're in the workplace where you could invite others to come and hear the gospel for yourself, for themselves, or you could witness to them when the, those opportunities come. That's our witness. That's our mission in life as, as Christians. This is one of the reasons God has left us here, is so that our light will shine to the unbeliever, and we will touch other lives and bring other people also to Christ. So we don't want to adopt a, well, I'm, I'm holier than thou, uh, I'm better than you sort of attitude with the unbelievers. But it's the works that is in mind here, the works of darkness, the, the sins 
that are of the unbeliever that we are to have no fellowship with. No, don't partake in it. Don't share in the things that they do. Don't have a partnership in those sinful activities. For example, if a colleague tells a, co a coarse joke in the office, well, the believers, we don't laugh along with them. We show some, something that we are not partaking with them by, uh, by abstaining from laughter. We don't presence ourselves if, if uh, you're invited to a pub crawl. Well, that seems so obvious that uh, Christians shouldn't be going on those things. Or parties which are obviously, you know what's going to happen there. You know sinful things are going to happen there. You know it's obviously worldly. Well, you, you want to have nothing to do with those kind of things. Where any, any foul work, works of darkness are taking place uh, and uh, near to you, well, Paul says, have no fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness. Keep apart with them. You're a child of light. How can light mix with darkness? How can light have fellowship with darkness? You're a distinctive people now that you know the Lord. You have a distinctive task to, to win those people uh, to the Lord, to bring them to Christ. You mustn't mix uh, together with them, with their works rather, in such a, a way. But reprove them, he says. Rather, reprove them. Now, friends, this doesn't mean that we go around telling the, un uh, the unsaved person everything that he does wrong. It doesn't mean you go around pointing a finger at people and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, what you're doing, that's wrong. We don't do that. That's not, uh, that's not what Paul has in mind here at all, as if we are, we're so judgmental. No, friends, we must reach people with compassion, to point a finger, to reprove them all the time, uh, every time they did something wrong, would be very negative and would really lose people. You get people's backs up if you tell uh, somebody uh, off in some way for what they're doing. And then you've lost them. It's very hard to win them back once you've You've uh, uh, affronted them in the, in the wrong way and uh, offended them in the wrong way. And uh, it's very hard to win. Our, our task is to witness to them. It's not to say there's not a place for saying words sometimes. But what Paul is saying here is, let your life uh, speak more than your words. If you can say something and do it in a gentle way and do it in a way which won't get people's backs up, yes, there's a place for that. But here the word reprove uh, really has something more than just telling people off. What it, uh, the, the idea is mainly is to uh, convince people, to bring people to the idea uh, of what they're doing is wrong by giving them proof, by giving them evidence, by showing to them this is not the way to be uh, carrying out your life. This is not the way to be living your life. The, uh, you want to persuade them, you want to convince them that a, a, a life without God is, is, uh, is wrong. A life without God is not the best life. You need to be in relationship with God. That's the whole point of, of the witness. Not that you want to just point out a specific fault and leave it at that. And you shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, the whole aim of our witness, friends, is to enlighten people, to sympathetically reach out to them, to help them, yes, to see their sin. They must be shown their sin and the need of a personal relationship with God and that they're living in that wrong relationship to God. And if they go on like that, yes, they will go into eternal perdition. 
we want to come and approach it in that way with the, with the aim and the intention of uh, winning them. And the best witness, Paul says, is a holy a life. Here in verse 13, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is a light. As we said, you can't always speak to people about their sins, uh, but you can invite them to a gospel service. One of the blessings, or one of the, the advantages, rather, of, uh, of gospel service is that the preacher can say and address specific sins. And he can address certain things which are, uh, ev- uh, which are, uh, which are happening in society generally uh, without getting people's backs up. And no one will think, well, he's speaking about me specifically. And that's one way that we can help people by bringing them uh, to the, the gospel service, inviting them. But the, the witness, friends, here that Paul has in mind is this holiness of light. And by your life, you're, as it were, throwing light, you're shedding light on the other person's way of acting and behaving, that it's out of sync with God. And he needs to get right with him. Somebody put it in this way. If you see somebody and they're going down a pathway, a path that, is, that will uh, lead to destruction, that will kill him, well, there are a number of things that we can do. The best thing, he says, is to shed light on the road so he can see the danger that he is in. And then that will, he himself will turn uh, from that way. Yes, you can use words that will also help, but he suggests that this is the way to throw light upon his uh, pathway. Some sins, Paul says here, are so shameful that they're not even to be mentioned. They're not even to be talked about. That's how bad uh, that they are. So it's better not to discuss some of the things that people do, but in a general way, try and show them uh, that the, 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 the kind of a lifestyle uh, is opposed to God and the danger that they in their need to come uh, to uh, Christ. So uh, we, are, uh, we are talking here about uh, living and witnessing for the Lord, but it doesn't mean to say, uh, or rather I should say, we're talk, referring here specifically to the, how we should respond to the handling of these works of darkness that come along our way that we are exposed to. But you're not really talking about witnessing opportunities. It is somewhat different. If an opportunity comes, some people, they often say, well, I'm just going to let my life speak. I'm not going to say anything for the Lord. I'm just going to let my life uh, communicate that. That's, that would be the wrong in, interpretation. In, in terms of witness, yes, we pray for opportunities wherever God has put us. And when those opportunities come, we want to speak for, uh, for Him. But uh, when it comes to uh, the things that people are doing, well, we want to try and shine a light onto them in a slightly different way. So, with that in mind, we just come to a close here at verse 14. And I just make one point here. Verse 14, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Through the preaching of the gospel, we call men to awake from their sleep, to awake from, as arise from the dead, from their spiritual inertia and indifference to God, we, we call them, we beseech them through the preaching of the public preaching of the gospel to come to Christ and He will give them light. And in the same way, 
what we do publicly in the same way the aim of personal witness here is to do something similar. We want to, we seek through our personal witness to shine into people's homes and into our offices, our neighborhoods, so that others also can be saved. And we are sort of beseeching them, come also to Christ. Come and trust in Him. Come believe in Him. And He will give you light. So this is, friends, our message for today. Remember who you are, children of light, light bearers. Help, may the Lord help us to shine brightly for Him in this dark world. Well, let's close by singing our final hymn, number 341. O Christ, our true and only light, 341.